do you follow a CEO who guided one of the most impressive turnarounds in restaurant industry history? Domino CEO Rich Allison is finding out. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Executive Editor at Restaurant Business Magazine, and in this week's edition of our podcast, I speak with Rich Allison, who took over this summer for longtime CEO Patrick Doyle. Domino's has built a technology powerhouse that has generated 30 straight quarters of domestic same-store sales growth, growth that has frequently topped 10%, and it has helped the chain's average unit volumes increase from just more than $600,000 to more than $1 million. In addition, the chain has generated incredible 100 straight quarters of same-store sales growth internationally. In our interview, Allison talks about how the company has been able to generate such consistent same-store sales growth, and he talks about how the company can continue to generate that momentum despite an increasingly competitive market and higher expectations. Along with all this performance, Domino's stock price has increased by 10,000% over the past decade. Allison also speaks about the pizza business and how Domino's can continue to make it easier for customers to order pizza. Now, here's Rich Allison. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. Great to be with you today. So uh, you recently took over a chain that has generated 30 straight quarters uh, domestically of uh, oftentimes extremely impressive same-store sales growth. Its stock went up about, oh, 10,000%. Companies sort of established a new benchmark for how uh, restaurant brands uh, of all stripes uh, adopt and use technology and, uh, and, and is in many respects revolutionary. So how do you as CEO follow up on all that? <laughs> That's a great, great question. Um, yeah, well, first of all, it's, uh, it's a terrific you know, starting point to take as a brand-new CEO, Jonathan. You know, a lot of folks in their first CEO job step into a turnaround situation and, you know, really have to, 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 to dig in and, and, uh, and, and make a lot of substantial changes very quickly. You know, I'm fortunate to, to step into the role with a brand that has, as you described, been performing incredibly well, and one also that I have been involved with now for the last, you know, seven-plus years leading our international business. So it really is a unique opportunity of a great performing brand, you know, in a company that uh, I know the business well and know the people well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we look going forward, you know, there are a lot of things that won't change. You know, frankly, we are going to continue to invest in uh, the areas that have allowed us to drive our business. You know, you mentioned technology, you know, as one of them. Most certainly uh, a big part of our ability to drive those consistent same-store sales gains and, and retail sales growth overall has been terrific consumer-facing technology. We're going to continue to invest in that. We're also going to continue to stay very focused on uh, providing value to our customers. You know, a big part of our success has been the fact that we've been running for nine years now the same uh, $5.99 offer, you know, to our consumers. Uh, medium two-top pizza now expanded to, uh, you know, a mix-and-match offer that includes chicken, bread, salads, other items. And we're going to continue to stay focused on value because that's really helped us drive those consistent sales gains. And we're going to continue to stay very focused on franchisee unit economics. You know, we're getting strong unit growth today in addition to those same-store sales gains because Domino's is a great investment uh, for our franchisees, and we're going to stay really focused on, uh, on that as well. 
So a lot of continuing to do some of the same things, but also there's some things, you know, as I look forward that, that I think we can do, you know, even better or, or do in addition to the things that have worked. Let's stay on the, uh, on the vein of technology. You know, we've applied a lot of te- uh, technological innovation to our consumer-facing applications, but I think there's a lot that we can bring to how we run our stores. Uh, you know, how we enable our store managers, our insiders, our drivers uh, to be more efficient and effective. And, you know, just within the last couple months, we've rolled out, you know, a voice recognition inventory app, you know, to help dramatically cut down the amount of time and also improve the accuracy when our team members take inventory at the end of the day. We're going to be, we're going to continue to work on a lot of those things. And then another area I think we can really, um, move the ball forward on is really turning this into a global company, a global brand. You know, we're, we're, we're now, uh, we have a presence in over 85 countries. We've got, you know, more than 9,000, you know, 700 stores, you know, uh, uh, outside the U.S. You know, we've got a, we've got an opportunity, I think, to really accelerate the way we take some of the learnings and best practices in the U.S. and move those out into the international markets and vice versa. So we're going to be working hard on those things in addition to trying to, to make sure that we continue to execute against the formula that's worked so well. Why You, you mentioned consistent value. Why, why, has, that been, why has that been uh, successful for, for you guys? And, and then the, the other correlation of that is I don't need to tell you that costs, it is overall labor costs, food costs, all sorts of other costs have, have increased uh, really over that time period that you had. Have that. How do you maintain the profit that consistency while sort of ensuring profitability for your franchisee? Yeah, well, you know, we think that to be successful in this category, you know, value is a 24 by 7 by 365, you know, proposition. We hear a lot of our competition after a bad quarter, say, well, we're going to go back to value in the next quarter. And we just don't look at it that way. We think you've got to stay on point with value all the time because consumers really care about it. And so maintaining the consistency of our delivery offer at $5.99 and our carryout offer at $7.99 has been a critical component of how we've been able to consistently drive sales growth and take share from the competition. So we don't have any intention of backing off on value. Now, in order to be able to do that in an environment of rising labor costs, rising fuel costs, et cetera, we've got to be rigorously uh, uh, focused on, you know, efficiency, you know, in our, sto- in our, in our stores. We run higher volumes uh, than, the, than the national competitors do, uh, which helps us with efficiency. Uh, we are... Uh, uh, working very hard alongside our franchisees to continue building new units and to fortress the markets uh, that we operate in. And, and what we mean by that basically is putting our stores closer to our customers. So that does two things for us. One is that it gives us access to carry out business that is almost completely incremental because consumers simply won't drive very far from their home to pick up a pizza. They'll let us drive much further than they're willing to drive. And then for the delivery business, you know, by taking these delivery zones down from what was a traditional kind of nine-minute, you know, from the store uh, uh, drive time, 
down to a max of five or six minutes. As we do that over time, it will significantly improve the efficiency of our delivery business and lower the cost per delivery, which I think is going to be a critical uh, element of uh, being competitive, not only against the traditional players in pizza delivery, but also as we face new competition from these third-party delivery aggregators and others. How much how much competition are are these aggregators to you? Um, I mean, I know you get this question all the time. There are a lot of people who um, have have real concerns about uh, sort of how how it's going to impact Domino's. What's what's what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, yeah, we in the U.S. If I start in the U.S., you know, certainly there's a lot of uh, investment going in and a lot of interest, you know, in these delivery aggregators. You know, so far, we haven't seen any material impact on our business uh, from, uh, from the aggregators. Now, the, uh, the other element of that is, you know, the, the business model for these aggregators and for the restaurants that they uh, uh, deliver for are still pretty challenged. You know, we haven't seen any evidence yet that anyone has built a sustainable economic model that can bring reasonable cost to the customer while still affording the restaurant and the aggregator the opportunity to make a good profit on those deliveries. Now, over time, I think somebody will figure that out. Most certainly some of these aggregators are going to fail, and some portion of the billions, uh, you know, I read an article today, $3.5 billion put into that sector. Some of that money is obviously going to burn up along the way. There's going to be a lot of money lost as the shakeout happens among the third-party uh, aggregators. But we expect that over time, you know, one or two of them will probably, uh, you know, find a business model that works. And that's why we have to continue to make sure we are maniacally focused on the efficiency of our delivery business. And I, I believe that, you know, if we're delivering pizzas to our customers in 25 minutes or 20 minutes or faster and do that consistently, you know, at a good value, I think we can defend our business against the aggregators. I think a lot of the less efficient uh, pizza players and restaurant companies are going to have a hard time, uh, but I think if we can continue to execute and to, you know, bring that value, keep the cost in check, I think we can be uh, successful. Let's. Uh, I, I uh, want to make sure that we we talk uh, a good bit about this. So, one of the more underrated or certainly underappreciated aspects of, of of Domino's business, really, the past uh, I don't know how many years now, has has been its international growth. And and I know that you know quite a bit about that. Um, there hasn't been a decline in same store sales since Bill Clinton's first term. Um, how is it, which I still find really kind of uh, amazing, so I, how has it been able to maintain that success for for for, for so long? And 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 really, what's 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 the what's driving that business in international markets? Sure. Well, we we have we just uh, you know, we just had our 99th you know, straight quarter of, of positive same store sales gains, which you know, I've been working in and around the industry for 20 years, and I've I've never seen a brand that that, that has done that. You know, I think, Jonathan, there's a, the formula, I think, is there's a couple of elements to it. You know, number one, you know, I think we're very fortunate to play in a sector of QSR pizza, which really works well around the world. You know, we can take this same basic 
uh, uh, dough, sauce, and cheese, and we can take that and tailor that to the needs of local markets around the world, whether that is India, where we have more than 1,100 stores. Most of the product we sell in India is, is veg uh, pizza. You know, if you go out to uh, South Korea or Japan or uh, China, you're going to find you know, seafood toppings on our pizza that you wouldn't find in the U.S. You know, around the world, depending upon you know, religious customs, we've got pepperoni that might be made out of beef only, pork only, or a mixture of beef and pork. So we have an opportunity to take this, this product category and really tailor it to the local needs. I think when you combine that with a model that we've employed, which is this master franchise model, where we take our, our brand and we partner with, you know, local entrepreneurs, local companies, local leaders that really understand the local market, understand local consumers, understand, you know, how to get business done in those locations. It's really created a nice formula for us uh, for success over time. Also, the fact that these master franchise relationships you know, they, uh, a master franchisee has the rights to a particular country or set of countries. They don't compete directly with other master franchisees. So within our system, we've long had a history of sharing the best ideas, best practices, uh, you know, ways to improve operations, et cetera, you know, across the globe that allow countries to benefit from the experiences that other, uh, that other countries, uh, have had. So, there's not a single silver bullet. It's a lot of really hard work each and every day by our master franchisees and by our teams that support them. Uh, but, uh, but a formula that, that has been able to work over time and that we continue to, <laughs> continue to work hard on every day. I can honestly tell you it's a work in progress everywhere. Um, and there are, there are always some markets that aren't performing well. There are always some markets that are performing incredibly well. But when you take the portfolio together, it's, it's worked pretty well over time. Mm-hmm. But, but being as, in as many countries as you are now, that sort of kind of provides you with you – know, I mean, the, the, the more you grow in international markets, doesn't that – kind of protect you from downsides in, in some markets like if the United States, I mean, I, every so often the United States has a recession uh, and other markets might be growing. And the United States is an increasingly difficult market just for all sorts of restaurants, uh, whereas, you know, there there are simply fewer restaurants as a percentage in, in most other markets. So then it sort of provides you that kind of downside protection, so to speak. Yeah, I think, it, I think it does. If you think about just the, the sheer you know, kind of portfolio management of it, you know, just like your financial advisor would, you know, wouldn't advise you to put all of your retirement assets into one stock, you know, we've got a diversified portfolio of countries, you know, where we're, where we're operating. So at any given point in time, we're going to have some that are performing incredibly well. And, you know, somewhere we've got some turnaround work to do, but having that portfolio provides some, uh, you know, some insulation on the downside uh, risk. I'll also say that, you know, having this global business has been, a, has been incredibly important to us just in terms of giving us the opportunity to sustain growth as a global company over time. You know, 95% of the world's population lives, you know, lives outside the U.S. And, you know, uh, while we've got you know, now a, a store base, you know, that's closing in on, uh, 
you know, on 10,000, you know, we're over over 9,600 stores outside the U.S. and, and growing. You know, we've still got significant white space uh, for for growth. You know, many markets with uh, lots of territory that still doesn't have access to a Domino's uh, pizza. So. I think it you know, gives us a little bit of uh, insulation on the downside, as you ask, but also, you know, a lot of runway for continued growth of our brand going forward. But what, what, how much runway do you have in the United States? Yeah, we've been pretty public, you know, recently in stating that we believe that we've got the opportunity over the course of the next 10 years to reach 8,000 stores uh, in the U.S. You know, so you think about that, that's, that's the opportunity to add, you know, another 2,000 stores plus to the base that we have today. And there are a couple of things that have given us, you know, confidence around our ability to do that. One is that we've, we've had a lot of success over the last five-plus years at building our carryout business. You know, Domino's started as a really as a delivery-only business, and we're now a, a – we've got a nice balance across delivery and carryout. And, when we open these new units, the carryout business is largely incremental. So as we've built that over time, it's given us access to, you know, uh, consumers and occasions that we didn't historically uh, have access to over time. Uh, the other thing that gives us confidence is that we have a lot of stores in our base today that are just simply too busy. I mean, that's a high-class problem to have, but on Friday and Saturday nights at our peak, you know, we've got some stores where it's it's hard to find room on the belt to put another pizza in the oven or where, you know, we've got so many drivers on, on the clock that it's kind of chaos to get them in and out of the stores. So we're simply at a point from a capacity standpoint that a lot of our, uh, a lot of our stores need to, uh, you know, need to have their territory split uh, so that we can, uh, you know, we can continue to provide, you know, great service uh, to our customers in those, in those delivery areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so let me let me let me let me ask you this: Is um, the there's been this sort of mass consolidation trend in the restaurant business at the moment? And I know you've been asked this. Uh, you've learned you've you've learned an awful lot over over really the past uh, few decades on a lot of issues that are really uh, you know big in the restaurant industry right now in-store technology, delivery, and that sort of thing. Is there any chance that you guys would consider adding another concept, um, or do you think there's enough growth in the Domino's business that you don't need to do that? You know, I look at the business now, and, you know, in, in our category in pizza, you know, we are the number one player in the U.S., and we're the number one player globally, yet we still only sell about one out of every six pizzas sold in the U.S. and about one out of every 15 sold outside the U.S. So roll that up globally, and we've got about a 10% market share of pizza. So I see so much opportunity for us to continue to grow. You know, this is a category that is growing on a global basis, um, and for a market leader, our share is still quite low. You know, if you take a look at some other sectors of the restaurant business, if you looked at you know, burgers, coffee, chicken, some other sectors, you know, oftentimes you're going to find that market leadership means, you know, 25% share or higher. And I, I look and see a lot of runway for continued growth. So, 
I know a lot of chains have consolidated over time, and, you know, a lot of them look at their businesses, and I think they see limited opportunities for growth with the brand that they have, and so the opportunities to go out and buy other brands. I look at our business and see a lot of that. I see a lot of runway. And I also really like the fact, Jonathan, that we have, you know, across the Domino's world over 300,000 team members that wake up every day and all they think about is how do we sell more Domino's pizza. And I think that there is value to that focus uh, on a single brand. Uh, and, uh, and so as we look at it today, we just we're really focused on trying to build this great Domino's pizza brand and not – not focused on uh, on others at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mentioned that um, carryout is is incremental, and I, I wanted to ask a little bit about this because I, I, you know, I personally am not a huge delivery person. I'm kind of a control freak, and I I always pick every time I order Domino's, I always pick it up, literally 100 percent of the time. In fact, I can't even remember the last time Domino's has delivered something to me, uh, <laughs> and that's. That goes, you know, I'm just not a huge delivery person. And is it is is that a kind of a common thing that there's just a certain percentage of the consumer customer base uh, that just isn't really into delivery, um, or am I weird? No, you're not weird. You are a very <laughs> typical carryout customer, Jonathan. Because when we've done the market research over time, you know what it has told us is is exactly what you described, which is there is a group of customers out there. And Control Freak was a pretty good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. They want control over that experience. Now, some folks in that segment also are cost-conscious as well. And by picking up the pizza, you know, you, you don't have a delivery charge, and also they save on, you know, tipping a, tipping a, a, a driver. So it is a combination of control and also, uh, in some cases, you know, also managing the cost of that meal for their families. But that's really the insight that we found. And then coupled with that is the fact that uh, the carryout customers don't want to drive very far to pick up the, the, the product. Convenience is also important. So, you know, a delivery customer, you know, who's loyal to Domino's may be very happy to have – a uh, Domino's delivery driver drives past five other pizza uh, joints between the Domino's store and the, and the customer's house. You, as a carryout customer, probably don't want to drive past five other pizza joints to get to Domino's to pick up your food. So we've got an opportunity to get our stores closer. Uh, we also know that there are about two and a half times as many carryout occasions in the U.S. each year than there are delivery occasions. So it's a big is a big piece of the market, uh, and those are some of the those are some of the insights that you know led us to this focus on on carry out as a terrific business opportunity. Uh, you know, if we had just called you first, Jonathan, we might have saved ourselves the money on the market research. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and, and you know, you, you mentioned that it might if you were to the only way that you could get a Domino's closer to my house is. If you were to literally put it in my backyard, so it's uh, it's 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 not very close. It's it's the closest pizza restaurant, one of the closest restaurants, period, to my house, and then one of the closest pizza concepts. And so I don't have to drive very far, so it's pretty so it's pretty easy. So maybe I would have it delivered more if it was a little further away. Um, so 
Um, do you think that the the your the insight in the takeout versus delivery thing? Do you think that sort of puts a kind of a natural cap on the on 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 that third party delivery service? So you know, we we look at you know, we look at these two businesses both as being critically important. When I say two businesses, the delivery business and the carry out business, both as critically important, you know, as how and how we can not only defend our business but grow it going forward. So you know, if you think about that that incremental carry out business that I was talking about. So when we open up a new uh, store, you know, let's say we take addresses from from two existing stores and we open up a third store. You know, that incremental carryout business is, is a great base load on that store for that franchisee. You know, good, profitable base load business. And then because we've now got that store closer to, uh, to the customers in that delivery area, we can bring better service to those customers. So think about that as not only are we able to get pizzas to them faster, but we also are able to get them to them more consistently in the time that they expect. And, oh, by the way, the product tastes a lot better, you know, because it came out of the oven more recently. And then the, the other economic benefit to the franchisee is the fact that these delivery runs are shorter and it reduces the cost for delivery because I, I believe that in order to, to, to continue to be competitive against our, our old competitors and these new competitors, the aggregators, you know, having hot product, you know, delivered quickly to our customers and doing that in a cost-effective way for the franchisees is going to be critical for our success because we're going to be competing, you know, against these aggregators, you know, not only on, you know, the basis of the product and service quality, but also in making sure that we've got superior economics. and. And I think if we if we execute against this strategy, I think our system, our system economics can can stay at a superior level. Mm-hmm. What one other way? I mean, you you, you talked earlier about um, uh, uh, you know about some some back of house technology um, that you're working on. Is that sort of a new front for you guys uh, using sort of your 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 capabilities uh, uh, on the technology front to? to make things a lot more efficient uh, in the store? It is. You know, we, we are. You know, we're trying to take a lot of what we've learned with all the development work we've done in consumer-facing technology, and we are. We're trying to think about how can we make uh, bring that into the stores and make the stores better and more efficient to run. You know, one of the things that we've talked about externally, you know, that we're testing is uh, uh, natural voice ordering, you know, for example. So, trying to take some of the great things we've learned about uh, from e-commerce and how our customers like to order pizza from us and apply that to the old-fashioned, you know, telephone. Uh, and so we've got some tests going on in some of our corporate stores to, to help us figure out how we can take calls. Now, you know, the, the first question people typically ask me around that is, well, are you doing that to save, you know, labor in your stores? And the answer really is no. We're using it to drive sales. You know, because we still, when we're busy, if we're honest, you know, we still have quite a few missed phone calls on a Friday and Saturday night when the teams are so busy they can't pick up the phone. You know, those are opportunities to sell pizza that we're missing. And we've also got an opportunity, I think, by using the insights that we've learned through e-commerce to also do a better job of taking those calls once we answer them and being thoughtful about how we can 
you know, offer, you know, additional products to customers, you know, based on, uh, uh, you know, based on what might fit with their dining occasion, that, you know, it's really hard to train tens of thousands of people to do that well uh, versus, if we can get the algorithms right and get the natural voice ordering right, then you know, we've got an opportunity to do that certainly much more consistently across our store base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually want to ask you about the phone orders and and because I, I and what you're doing there is actually really fascinating. But so so the other day on on Twitter and I, I think I was talking about Domino's or I, I actually can't remember who I was talking about. I was talking about one piece of brand and. And then somebody responded uh, something about you know the trouble they have when calling uh, calling the, the 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 pizza place by the phone and and my response to that was it's 2018 why are you calling your pizza place for an order the surprise to me at this particular point in in history is is not necessarily that you do what is it 60 uh, percent now more than 60 percent of your orders come through digital channels. To me, the surprise is still that there's 40% or close to 40% of people that still call the uh, restaurant. And how do you convert um, those orders to, to to digital orders, or, or do you think that's that's even possible that there's certain just a certain segment of customers that that's how they want to order? You know, I think that we we've certainly seen a you know dramatic increase over time in the percentage of our orders that come in through our digital channels, and I think. A lot of that has been driven by the fact that that experience has gotten a lot better. And we've also opened up many more avenues, you know, for customers to order. There's about a dozen and a half different ways you can order a Domino's pizza digitally today. You know, but that said, there are still times when people want to make a phone call and, uh, and order. And, you know, we, we respect that fact and we, fact that we want to make sure that we are still providing a great experience to those customers who, who choose to, to access, you know, our brand, uh, in that way. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always do a great job, you know, of, of answering those phone calls and, and providing a great experience. Certainly we do our, uh, certainly we do our best. But I think there's an opportunity to uh, to enhance what we're doing today and, and, and using some of these you know, these the natural voice uh, opportunities uh, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I mean, I know you've said this a number of times, but uh, you know, the, the, the pizza business, uh, frankly, is is, an ex- is sort of extremely interesting right now. Um, you have uh, a lot of you know you have one player that's that's been struggling uh, mightily this year. You have another one, um, you know, another big player in the market that's that's uh, uh, you know that is still working its way through through sort of a recovery phase. Um, and then you have just a ton, ton of like small players, small and, and, and medium sized players. Um, do you kind of foresee this like sort of further consolidation in the in in the market uh, over time and and uh, I mean is that something that you really see as is as a definite future for for the company? I uh, I do see further consolidation uh, you know going forward. You know, pizza is still a very fragmented sector of the restaurant business. You know, as as you know. You know, as I spoke about earlier, you know, mm-hmm. we as the market leader, you know, still only sell about one out of every six, you know, pizzas that are sold. So 
I see a lot of opportunity uh, for continued consolidation in the industry. We've been fortunate enough to be gaining share, you know, against a broad swath uh, of the industry. And, frankly, I'm pretty agnostic about how we continue to, to gain share going forward. And we're less focused on, you know, the, the efforts or struggles of any particular one competitor, but much more focused on, you know, our executing against our strategy of making sure that, we're constantly providing great value and service uh, to our customers, and then also uh, maintaining a keen focus on the economics for our franchisees. Uh, because you know, we've got really two jobs in running this brand. You know, one is to uh, attract customers uh, to our, our product and service, and the second is we've got to provide a great economic model for our franchisees. Because if we do that, our franchisees will continue to invest their hard-earned money, you know, into Domino's Pizza, uh, and and we can continue to bring customers back to, to give us the chance to serve them again and again. Those, those franchisee economics have been pretty, pretty, uh, pretty important, and, and certainly in the last few years for you guys, haven't it? I mean, um, I, I, you know, it's, it, it's amazing to me how uh, novel the idea is. But you know, if your franchisees are making money, they're going to do a lot, uh, um, a lot of cool things for the brand. Absolutely right. Uh, you know, and we we focused on that very, very heavily for the last the last decade. And you know, there's there's certainly and, and I a a strong you know relationship between those unit-level economics and, you know, the ability to drive uh, store growth in our system. You know, and we've got the benefit of, of running a business in more than 85 countries around the world. And, and one of the things I certainly saw time and time again in our international business, and the same as the case here in the U.S., is that when those unit-level economics are strong, the brand grows. You know, franchisees will choose to invest their their money. You know, if if cash on cash returns, you know, are three years or better, there's a pretty strong chance that franchisees are going to want to put their money into the into the brand because you know there are few and far between out there opportunities to go and invest your 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 money and and earn a you know three year or better cash on cash return. So uh, uh, when am I going to see the drone delivering my pizza, or will I? <laughs> so we've been doing a lot of testing, you know, around the world on different delivery methods. You know, our our partners over in, you know, Australia and New Zealand have done some drone delivery tests. You know, partners in Europe have done some deliveries with, you know, little robots that go down the uh, down the sidewalk. You know, we here in the U.S. have been working on that and now have tested in three different cities, you know, autonomous vehicle pizza delivery. So, you know, I suspect that as we look toward the years to come, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any doubt that there are going to be some alternative methods of getting food to customers, you know, whether that's autonomous vehicles, drones, robots, you know, you name it. Uh, the technology is, is advancing very quickly. So, we're trying to make sure that we are, um, you know, making the investments that we need to be making to be ready when that technology matures and when the regulators and everyone else that governs the the, uh, the ultimate adoption of that, when they're ready to, to say, yes, 
you know, we want to make sure we really understand how Domino's Pizza customers are going to want to uh, are going to want to interact with drones or AVs or robots or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is what about uh, what about like sort of back of house robotics or anything like that? I mean, that's um, I mean, labor costs uh, obviously are are a major issue in the industry at the moment. And if, if and frankly, if, if I'm looking long term uh, at one potential way that you could see, you know, maybe you know some of the some of the labor pressures ease over the long term would be um, um, would be to uh, would one of the potential ways to end the labor pressures or ease the labor pressures would be to find more technology in the back of the house. Do you see that ever ever a potential down the line? So one place that we're doing it today is in our uh, supply chain centers. Mm-hmm. So we just just a couple of weeks ago we opened up a, a 140,000 square foot supply chain center uh, in New Jersey. And uh, when you, if you if you were to walk into the production room, you know that facility, you would see that we're using uh, robotics in a number of places. Um, which, you know, we believe uh, is not only an opportunity, you know, in terms of the operating costs, you know, to save their own labor, but also to be able to produce a more consistent uh, product for our, uh, you know, for our, to, to ship out to our stores, our franchisees. So we've been looking at and, and, and advancing forward in some, in some robotics and opportunities there. As it relates to our stores, we still believe, you know, pretty profoundly in this notion of hand-crafting food, you know, for our customers. And if you take a look at what we've done with our uh, re-imaging of our system since about 2012, you know, we've been working on a massive re-imaging and have made tremendous progress there. We've built what we call pizza theaters. That's what we call that concept. And the thought is that we want to, we want our customers to be able to see that fresh dough stretched right in front of them. You know, that pizza sauce by hand, the cheese and the toppings put on by hand. And so I think that's a part of the business, Jonathan, that uh, that I'd be fairly reluctant to let go of, you know, and to have and to have robots do that. I, I, I love the fact that when I come in uh, to, to each and every one of our pizza shops, I see human beings in there who really care about that product you know, stretching that fresh product by hand for our customers. And yeah, as a uh, as someone who is uh, who uh, visits that uh, your pizza theater near me uh, pretty pretty frequently, it's definitely interesting to see them hard at work. So, um, sir, thank you very much for for joining us uh, this week on the podcast. Great to be with you, Jonathan. Thanks. A Deeper Dive is fabulously edited by Kimberly Colley. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Pat Kobe, Sarah Rushworth, Heather Lally, and Peter Romeo. You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. 
I'm Jonathan Mays, the executive editor with Restaurant Business and the podcast host. Thank you for listening.